All right, we're in business. This is Anna Maria Alessi, and with me today is author Margot Rabb, author of the novels Kissing in America, on sale May 20th from HarperCollins, and Cures for Heartbreak. Margot's essays, journalism, book reviews, and short stories have been published in the New York Times, the New York Times Book Review, The Atlantic, Slate, The Rumpus, Zotrope, All Story, and Seventeen, just to name a few. She's received the grand prize in the Zotrope Short Story Contest and first prize in the Atlantic and American Fiction Contest. And she's also won a Penn Syndication Fiction Project Award. Margo, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Now, Elizabeth Gilbert, internationally best-selling author of Eat, Pray, Love, describes your new book, Kissing in America, this way. She says that, Kissing in America is a wonderful novel about friendship, love, travel, life, hope, poetry, intelligence, and the inner lives of girls. All the things, to put it simply, that I like best in a book. I loved it. That's that's quite a rave. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Can you please tell us a little bit about Kissing in America without uh, giving too much away? Well, Kissing in America is... It's the story of Eva, who loves romance novels and has read 118 of them. And her mother, who is a women's studies professor, and to her mother, this is the worst thing Eva could possibly have done is to fall in love with romance novels. Since her mother is a very serious feminist, and she thinks that the idea of you know, a boy solving all your problems is um, sort of the last thing she wants her daughter to believe in. And I really wrote the book as sort of, um, almost a letter to myself and who I was at that age because I was a lot like Eva, the type of girl who thought that if the guy that I liked liked me back, um, then everything would be perfect and all my problems would be solved. And so the book is really about Eva's journey of really finding herself. It's definitely a girl power book and a coming-of-age story about a girl coming into her own. And it's also a mother-daughter love story, too. Yeah, and I really actually appreciated the um, sort of best friend storyline and, and the element of that of that female friendship and, and what happens when you're not entirely simpatico with what's going on in each other's love lives, right? If, if one is experiencing one thing and the other is something different, that can sometimes put a uh, put a challenge to the to the friendship. And I think you you explored that a little bit too as well. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely been the case with many of my um, female friendships. I'm I'm lucky to have a lot of really close uh, female friends, and we, we love to go on road trips together and travel together. And so that part of the story is also based on true experiences in my oh, life. Oh, that's funny. So tell us tell us about your last road trip with your girlfriend. Well, my I have a close friend, my friend Dika, who just loves to travel. And we one of my favorite trips we ever took together was we – took a road trip to Prince Edward Island in Canada, the home of Anne of Green Gables. And we're both huge. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we're huge Anne of Green Gables fans, and we had so much fun. We spent 10 days um, just touring all over the island and going to every single Anne exhibit and Anne's house. And there's even a village where they dress up, these actors dress up as characters from the Anne of Green Gables books. And we got to hang out with Gilbert Blythe. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that sounds like so much fun. And it was so lucky, much fun. Lucky you that you have a good friend who has that exact same passion. That's that's so adorable. That's 
that's fantastic. And so you you must have been taking notes uh, along the way while you were on these trips. Because as I understand it, this book has been germinating for six years. Is that correct? I I wrote the first draft of it actually in 2008. I um, oh okay. Yeah, it took me a really long time <laughs> to, to write. I'm not a I'm not a quick not a quick novelist, but I really love. I love novels that have a lot of depth and texture and operate on a lot of different levels. So I hoped, you know, over these years to bring that to as each as I worked on each draft again and again. I I really hope to add a lot of different layers of meaning. Um, Eva also loves poetry, and so I really loved weaving in a lot of poetry into the book. I I start my writing days by reading a poem, and a lot of the poems that I read work their way into the book. So you start each writing day regardless of what you're working on, or was it specifically for this book you start by reading a poem? Yeah, most days, definitely during the writing of this book, to sort of separate from my, you know, chaotic, regular life. I have two young kids, and it's just, you know, to sort of enter writing, I always usually try to read poetry or something to shut off the Internet and shut off all the noise of the world and just really enter that world. And I those poems, reading poetry just always sort of puts me in the right mode of of what language can do. I feel like poems can just express so many complicated feelings in so few words. It's, it always just makes me feel so many incredible different things. Now tell us a little bit about your writing life separate from your work in novel writing because you, you have a obviously a wide career, a wide variety of work with short stories, but then all the sort of nonfiction writing that you do and the exposure that that gives you to other authors. How how do you manage both and how has that influenced your fiction writing? I think because the novel writing process for me is not a very fast one. I love writing essays and book reviews and journalism because they're done quickly, or at least in comparison to novel writing. I yes. can finish an essay sometimes in a couple of weeks. And I've I've kept a diary ever since I was a little kid. I think I started when I was around eight or nine or ten and started writing almost every day when I was a teenager. And so I love looking back on them. I'm actually working on an essay right now for Marie Claire that should be out um, in a few months. And it's about an experience I had ten years ago. And I've been reading back on my diaries. Um, it's actually about a romance that I had ten years ago. And I wrote notes of everything we said to each other all aspects of this experience, I think, knowing that I would probably write about it someday, but it took me 10 years to, to make sense wow. of the experience. So it's it's a funny process, but for me, that's what I, I love about writing is that I often don't know what I really, what the experience really meant until I write about it, and whether it's in a novel or in an essay. It, it's sort of a way, it's through the act of writing that I figure out what that experience meant. And are you able to keep up the journal writing every day. I I don't do it every day now, but I do I do try to do it at least probably three or four times a week, and it's definitely I feel like it keeps me sane and probably has saved me millions of dollars on therapy. <laughs> right, it, 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 you know, and I was talking about this actually with another author recently, where they've done you know recent studies that that scientifically prove this that that how beneficial journal writing is to mental health and they've been able to you know study the brain and, and it's so interesting to me i love it and it's, it's very different than writing fiction or essays you know with an es- fiction or essay it's a you know it's a very structured form there has to be the beginning the middle the end but with the diary it's just 
it's just anything. And I, I love the privacy, I feel, especially in this day and age um, with the Twitter and blogs. And there's so few places where you have a really private spot that only it's just for you and no one else is ever going to see it. And I love that aspect of it. And I also think that when raising small children, things fly by so fast. So any notes that you take on that process, you're going to love having years from now when you think you've forgotten, you know, these small details of your day. I I think you'll really appreciate. I say that as the mother of a teenager. So (laughs) (laughs) And having having kept it as a teenager too, my mom passed away um, when I was in my teens. And so I have journals of times we spent together um, memories Aww. that we have, you know, that I didn't, you know, she died very suddenly, so I didn't know that that would, these memories would mean so much to me. But, and the, I'm I'm definitely a saver, you know, I saved all her letters, and uh, all those things that are written down have become so important to me. And part of Kissing America has that um, grief aspect to it, too. Eva's father dies in a plane crash, um, and part of that is my father passed away, too, uh, seven years after my mom did, and he died right around the time of the Swiss air crash. And so, mm. I kept reading those articles again and again and again, and they sort of, because he also died suddenly, I became sort of obsessed with that sudden death in such a public way, and that worked its way into this book, too. Yes, that theme of of that sudden change, in, 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 in these cases, the death, but this monumental change for an emerging person you know, is it is it a theme in your work, and it's it's so interesting because in both you know um, cures for heartbreak and in this lighter piece, you know, kissing in America, you you really walk right into that. And have you found that you've gotten um, a really strong response to that aspect of those books from your readers? I have. I you know, it's interesting. I sometimes I had an essay recently in the New York Times about um, comparing. It was about, I had a cat that died of cancer, a cat that I loved very much, who died um, a while ago, too, about eight years ago. And I, it took me a long time to figure out why I kept comparing the treatment, the care that we had for the cat when she was dying, which was extremely gentle and compassionate from our doctors versus the care my mom had received, which was not very compassionate. And, uh, you know, it took me a long time to figure out what the meaning of that was, and I, I, as I was working on the essay, that was really hard. I kept reading back in my diaries of when my cat died and was moping around. You know, my husband was saying, you know, why do you do this to yourself? <laughs> you know, I, it's like you almost have to relive the experience. I reread journals of my mom when I'm writing, and I get really sad. But I feel like this is what the work of a writer is. Like, it's our job to make sense of these experiences because in our culture, you know, you don't go around just talking about death. And when it, if anything, you know, you try so hard to be polite. I don't meet new people and be like, oh, hey, you know, my mom died, my dad died. Want to hear about my cat too? <laughs> you know? yeah. But on the page, you can make sense of these things. And for me as a reader, it's, I would say that reading stories about death and the complexity of those stories helped me get through the losses I've experienced. I'm Tigerized by Judy Bloom is one of my favorite, favorite young adult novels of all time. And that I must have read that book. Ten times, I just love that. I think it's such a great portrait of grief and surviving grief. And then I'm also a huge Alice Munro fan, and her short stories about um, the deaths of her parents, uh, the moons of Jupiter, and Friend of My Youth, and Nettles. Those stories about death are just so incredible to me. And those stories have definitely helped get me through the losses in my own life. So. 
as a writer, it's, it's really gratifying to feel like I can give that back. And when I do hear back from readers who've also experienced those losses, then it, it makes it all feel worth it. Yeah, I think pe- some people underestimate the desire that kids have to read and sort of practice these emotions via fiction. And I, I think books like yours are, are really helpful to that to that end. I know it's interesting. I'm, I'm always I always think that you know books are not movies. It's such books because the reader brings so much to the page is such a great way for for us to experience things that you know the reader is too young to experience it themselves. I mean, I I read Tiger Eyes before, long before my mom died. I mean, I was pretty young when I first read that. It must have been maybe twelve or thirteen, and I I think that that probably helped me practice. Or in or in also yeah. Diary of Anne Frank is another book yeah. that was hugely important to me. Also, I think there are books that don't. You know, I think sometimes society can be so dismissive, dismissive of teenagers, thinking that they don't have deep, serious thoughts. You know, especially teenage girls, we look at portraits in the media where you know they're looked at as like silly, giggly little girls, and they're not. You yeah. know, teenagers have serious problems and serious thoughts, and so reading books where teenagers are taken seriously and um, treated, you know, equally, and their thoughts are important and given a space to work through those feelings and loss at that age, I think is, is the best part of books. Yeah, I agree. Now I've been speaking to some authors recently and we've talked about the editorial letter and, and what that is and how it feels to receive one. So tell, tell us about your editorial letter for kissing in America. Well, I have to say I'm incredibly lucky to work with uh, my editor, Alexandra Cooper. Um, there's You often hear in the writing world that editors don't edit anymore, but Alexandra definitely edits, which is is wonderful. I mean, I think when you first get, there's like these stages when you first get an editorial letter, you know, denial, <laughs> sort of like the stages of grief, denial, bargaining, you know, thinking like she can't mean all this, and then, you know, I'm sure she can't be right, and then realizing She's absolutely right about all of this. And I feel like revising Kissing in America with Alexandra was definitely a really collaborative process. And Alexandra worked so hard. She gave me, I mean, I think I had a 17-page editorial letter about it, single-spaced. And she and really... And it arrive, it arrives via email? Or it arrives via copy? Via email, but I printed it out. And then yeah. on top of that, she had a separate line edit. Um, very long editorial letters. <laughs> it's a lot of editing. You know, for me, already, I I don't write anything quickly. I mean, even the essays I do probably go through a hundred drafts. Me, I don't know. I can't even count because I think I would be too depressed if I actually counted. But um, I'm not someone who ever just writes the first draft and that's the final version. It always takes me many, many drafts to figure out what it is that I'm trying to say and to get all the language right. And so Alexandra's like that too. So working together, I feel like we really dove deeply into the characters and the language and everything. And I'm so grateful to her, and I'm so excited to be working with her on my next book, too. Oh, good. When is that planned? Well, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully before eight years. So I'm, I'm working on it right now. I'm hoping to hand it in within a year. Let's hope my uh, my process will speed up a bit now. Oh, that's funny. Now, who are your first readers? Um, well, my friend Dika, who I went to, I take road trips with, she actually is – very often my first reader for essays because she's 
Um, she's also a writer, and so we often take lunch breaks together where we'll eat lunch and talk about whatever we're working on since we both work home alone and it yeah. can get lonely. So we have those lunch breaks together often. And so often if I'm struggling with an essay, she'll give me that's you know a two-page long thing. She'll read it for me right before I turn it in. Um, but for the novels, I have a friend, Allison, who is one of my most treasured readers because she's brutally honest. She'll always tell me exactly you know, she doesn't just hem and haw. Like, I wouldn't give it to my husband because, you know, he he loves me. So he, has some, <laughs> he has something at stake. He doesn't want me stewing and being angry with him if he tells me the truth. But my friend Allison is very honest and will tell me exactly what she thinks, which is great because I know if she says she thinks it's done, then it, it is done and it's, you know, it's ready to go. Um, but this, Kissing America actually gave to a lot of readers. I probably had about, in addition to Alexandra, I think I must have given it to eight or ten readers throughout the minute because it went through so many drafts. It was good to have a fresh read at all the different stages. Yeah, that's interesting. And you've also, um, speaking of essays, you wrote a somewhat provocative, as it turned out, provocative essay around the fact that you were published as a young adult writer with your first novel, which came as somewhat of a surprise. You had submitted it, probably not thinking one way or the other, but probably thinking that it was going to be published as an adult novel, and in the end it was published as a young adult novel. And you wrote about that experience, about how it was somewhat surprising, but you came around to really very much appreciating it. So ha- is there any update to that to that story, and, and, and how has anything changed in your mind around being a, a young adult writer? I think um, some things have changed, and then I think since that essay was published in 2008, and I think young adult is even more popular now, and so I think a lot more people, a lot more adults are reading it. There was a study, I think it was a Nielsen study, that 80% of the buyers of young adult books are adults right now to read for themselves, so that was interesting, and um, I think that, I mean, when I wrote that essay, yeah, the Cures for Heartbreak was originally written as connected short stories that were published in magazines for adults. Like one was in the Atlantic Monthly and a lot of literary magazines. So my agent had sent it out thinking we would probably find an adult editor. And we actually had an offer from we had an editor at, at Random House Adult that wanted to buy it, but the editor-in-chief thought it would be better served by the young adult division. So that's how it ended up as young adult. Um, and with Kissing in America, I intentionally had it as young adult the entire time I was writing it. Yeah. All right. Now, I have three questions that I ask everyone. And the first is, what was the last book that you had a conversation about, and what did you say? Well, I just read a book called Lungden, which is the third in Edward Carey's Ironmonger trilogy. It's coming out in November, um, so it's actually not published yet. So he'd asked me to read it just to be to give him an opinion um, on his he just got some edits back from his editor and his wife who's also a writer had read it and so we just talked about the book together and i just loved it i had a few small suggestions um but i'm i can't wait for that book to come out and be shared with everyone and that's another example of um his books he passes the first book in the series that they're published as sort of middle grade young adult but they're really for all ages they're kind of an edward gorey type of illustrated novel and they're just they're absolutely wonderful fantastic now if you were to recommend a book to a 13 year old boy and i usually use 
a 13-year-old boy is sort of generic speak for a reluctant reader, a male reluctant reader, what book would you recommend to that boy? One of my favorite young adult novels that I've read um, in recent years is Peter Cameron's Someday This Pain May Be Useful to You. I love that novel so much. And, um, you know, I think it's another thing I think we often get into, you know, what do we recommend for boys and what do we recommend for girls? That's the character of that book is a gay man, gay young man. And, but it's, you know, I'm a, I'm not <laughs> a gay young yeah. man, but I was so completely related to him and just the way he felt he didn't fit in and the way he relates to other people. And I thought it was just such a beautiful portrait of a human being. And I'd recommend that book to anyone. So yeah, I am one of the, either boys or girls or anybody. One of the best titles ever. I love that title so much. Oh, I love that title. And also that's a book that he originally thought was adult and was published as yeah. young adult. And then I think they actually bought the paperback out as adult. So go yeah, figure. That, that's interesting. All right. And my final question were you to be banished to a desert island and you were allowed to bring three books, which three would you bring? Oh, my God, that's so hard. <laughs> Can I bring one of those huge compendiums of literature? Well, <laughs> well, I'm not sure the whole one volume but 37 books is going to work. <laughs> okay, the first one I'll go with is Alice Munro's Hate Ship, Friendship, Courtship, Love Ship, Marriage, because I just, that's just one of my favorite books of all time. I love that book so much. This, that has the short story, Nettles. That's one of my favorite short stories of all time, and I've probably read 30 times. It's such and a beautiful you, story. you've written Alice Monroe a fan letter, is that correct? I did. I, the only fan letter I've ever written to anyone except Sean Cassidy, who I wrote okay. to when I was 12. And yeah, he never I wrote back, that. but... No, but I, did, did Ms. Monroe write back? She did, actually. She wrote a very, very kind letter. Um, now, how, yeah, I was compelled to write to her because some of the books, as I said before, that I loved to read after my dad died. And so I just had realized I'd, I wanted to write her a letter and just tell her how much those stories had meant to me. And this was about 10 years ago or maybe more that I wrote to her. Um, so it was so gratifying to see her win the Nobel Prize, too. That, oh, was, yeah. that was really exciting. So I definitely bring that book. And then I think I would bring Diary of Anne Frank, which is just, I read again and again. And that was one of the books, too, that made me want to be a writer just how beautifully she wrote about her life and her situation and her thoughts on the world. And I think I would go with, for my third, I Capture the Castle by Dodie Aww. Smith. I just love that novel so much. That's marvelous. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us, and thank you for this terrific book. I, I'm going to recommend it to many a team. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Kat Theck with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from the leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.